Welcome to Media Path. I'm Louise Palanker. And I'm Fritz Coleman. You know what we try to do is every week on the show, we interview fascinating folks to help steer you towards content that you will enjoy. In the course of our careers, Fritz and I have conducted thousands of interviews, and never will we match the resume of our guest, Larry Grobel. Both in quantity and in quality, Larry's catalog of phenomenal interviews is vast and substantive. He's written for the New York Times, Newsday, Rolling Stone, Playboy, and many more. Plus, Larry has 29 books to his credit, just waiting for you to tap buy now with one click on Amazon. But before we get to Larry, first, Fritz, what have you been enjoying this week? All right, well, you know I like true stories, and I'm very forgiving of bad presentations of true stories, as long as I learn something about the true story itself. And this is a good presentation of a true story. It's called The Dropout. It's on Hulu. It's a limited series. The series is currently four episodes in. It'll be eight total. The new one drops this Thursday and every Thursday until they get to eight. It's based on the ABC News podcast, The Dropout, hosted by Rebecca Jarvis. She's the ABC News Chief Business Technology and Economics Correspondent. It's the story of Elizabeth Holmes, a brilliant young woman who dropped out of Stanford University to do a Silicon Valley startup called Theranos. Now, Theranos tried to develop a way to streamline blood tests, analyzing a drop of blood for over 100 medical qualities, and doing it with a very small machine that ultimately would be placed in drugstores around the country. It could transform the medical industry. Holmes' dark genius was her ability to sell the concept to investors and software scientists and other tech giants. She was a master salesman and cheerleader who started a company, hired hundreds of people, and gathered millions of dollars in investment money before the device was even made to work. It was a brilliant rise and a spectacular fall. At her peak, she was the world's youngest female billionaire, amassing a fortune of $4.5 billion. She was touted as the next Steve Jobs. She bamboozled former political titans and industry executives to join her board. This was all done before the machine even worked, before it passed any proof-of-performance tests. It all came crashing down when the company was caught faking test results. She went on trial. She was convicted of wire fraud and attempted wire fraud. She's awaiting sentencing right now, could get up to 20 years in prison. It's it's a spectacular look at how the manic competition of Silicon Valley intersects with manic personal ambition. Again, episode five drops Thursday. It's really good. And Amanda Seyfried is the actor, and she not only looks identical to Elizabeth Holmes, she does a great job. So did you get the sense that she actually thought this would work and kind of like launched herself into sort of uh, fake it till you make it type of arc? That's precisely the phrase I would use, fake it till you make it. She didn't have it worked out yet, but she was very enterprising and very driven and would not fail. And so she stumbled over herself. They faked a couple of tests on the way up and that's what did it. You know, it was, it, 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 it torpedoed her ambition. Blood on the saddle, blood on the ground. See what I'm saying? Yep. So, it is award season, Fritz, and I love to get myself as prepared as possible for Oscar night by attempting to see nominated movies before the TV show. So if you are aiming to do the same, note that the Oscars will be held on Sunday, March 27th. Every year, more and more films are available for streaming at home, and we can get our work done without worrying about parking. Fritz, I'm going to read <laughs> the nominees 
let alone babysitting, you know. But the popcorn, the home, I, don't, I just haven't figured out a way to get. Well, you and I used to do the thing where you yeah. Xerox the sheets and we do this whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah. A big deal. We'd have contests and, uh, you know, awards and prizes. <laughs> so I'm going to read the nominees for the best picture and we can both see how we're coming along in terms of our viewing, okay. right? In preparation for the Oscar night. They now nominate, I think, 10. I'm not good at math, but this is like too a many, yeah. too. Best picture nominees are Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley. The Power of the Dog, West Side Story, and Drive My Car. So I'm going to talk about Drive My Car for a moment because I was unfamiliar with this title and I watched it over the weekend. Don't be confused. Drive My Car is not, in this case, a Beatles song, a video game, or a Fast and Furious sequel. It's a very long and lovely Japanese film, which may or may not be the best fit for you. I'll fill you in so that you may decide for yourself. Yield for metaphors and subtext. The film is called Drive My Car. Drive is a metaphor. Car is a metaphor. The road is a metaphor. The journey is a metaphor. This is a story about actors and scripts. Acting and scripts are metaphors. The dialogue and the storylines in the scripts are metaphors. The scenes in the film are achingly long, a metaphor for time, a metaphor for longing, a metaphor for perspective, I guess. Drive My Car is about a stage actor married to a screenwriter who composes stories out loud during and after sex. And just when you were about to toss that bridal shower gag gift penis-shaped pen, not so fast. For reasons that will reveal themselves along the three-hour-long road of this film, the actor has a driver who takes him back and forth to rehearsals while he listens to his wife's voice on a cassette tape running lines for him from Chekhov's Uncle Vanya. The cassette tape, his wife's voice, Uncle Vanya, say it with me, all metaphors. Do we learn more about these people's fears, guilts, longings, hopes, and histories as the film progresses? Yes. Do we get to experience the beauty of Japanese lives and vistas? Yes. Is there a car and a lot of driving? Yes, lots and lots of driving. There's also lots of talking, and it is entirely possible that the English subtitles did not do justice to the Japanese dialogue. See if it sounds like the type of film that you would enjoy. It's three hours long, uh, and we found it on Apple Pay-Per-View. Yeah, they could have excised an hour out of it. I, I mean, I, I it took me to the last five minutes to understand that the Uncle Vanya text was very parallel to the lives of the two people who had suffered the loss in their lives. It was too long. It, it was, uh, I didn't even get it. I didn't get what the point of the movie halfway in, and I said, I've got another half of, uh, of a movie to go through. I just mm -hmm. didn't get it. And, yeah. uh, it, it, and it, it, it might have been a cultural divide for me. But I was fascinated by the multitasking of creating a script while you're having sex, because that takes a power of concentration for sure, that I don't have. It was impressive, yes. Yeah. Anyway. So I would like to introduce our guest. Larry Grabell is a master interviewer who has written for the New York Times, Newsday, Rolling Stone, Entertainment Weekly, Reader's Digest, Parade, Playboy, Cosmopolitan, and Writer's Digest, among many, many more. His 29 books include Conversations with Capote, The Houstons, Talking with Michener, The Art of the Interview, Madonna Paints a Mustache, greatest book title ever, in my opinion, and Conversations with Brando. He's written 49 books. You can check them all out on his uh writer page, author page on Amazon.com. Larry has been called by Playboy the interviewer's interviewer, by Joyce Carol Oates the Mozart of interviewers, and by J.P. Donlevy, the most intelligent interviewer in the United States. No pressure on Fritz and I interviewing the interviewer's interviewer. Welcome, Larry. <laughs> and um, I want to welcome you and, and open by asking you this question. You've had the opportunity to interview interviewers as well. Tell us about comparing notes with Alex Haley. 
Alex Haley is very special. Um, you know, he uh, he was a very, very sweet man. And um, he did the interviews with Miles Davis. He did George Lincoln Rockwell. Um, he, he, oh, uh, he did he did about five or six. Those those two are some of his famous. Oh, and of course, Mal- Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, he wrote the book Malcolm X, and then he wrote Roots. And um, he, he he had lived in a you know as a sailor. He was on a ship, so when he was writing Roots, and he was trying to get to the certain sections of it when they were they were crossing the ocean, he couldn't write it. He had he, and he ended up going on a a boat, you know, and he went underground and he stripped himself naked and laid down and to see what it was like for for you know his characters to do it. Anyway, Alex. Um, <laughs> I did a television interview with him that uh, about three hours, four hours long. And, you know, it was a Playboy cable thing and and lasted eight minutes when we cut it. But (laughs) it was just fascinating because we did share so many stories. We had so much, you know, we understood because the interviews that he and I did, you don't see it happening too much anymore. Playboy is gone and they don't give you that kind of time. I spent uh, nine months with Barbara Streisand, you know, over a period. Um, and I did with Brando. I went to his island for 10 days and I could have stayed for 50 days. It was up to me when I want to leave, you know, and but you don't get that anymore. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I once turned down Sophia Loren because Playboy asked me to do it, but she only had to six hours, two hours a day for three days before she had to do, leave. And I said it was too short a time. Now, if you got six hours with Sophia Loren, you, oh you'd make God. a movie out of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, think, you, know, th- you know, things have changed. So, I mean, with, with Haley, it, it just, you know, I, I, I show that tape. I, 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 did, I, I show about five or six of the t- tapes I've done, uh, the interviews, uh, when I go to health spas and things like that and, you know, resorts and people love to see these things. And Alex is one of the most touching ones of the ones I did because he also told stories. See, the difference between someone who understands the medium of TV is that you do, you got to have short bites, you know, and the thing would you do when you do a long interview is you, you have forever in your mind, you have, you know, it's only over, like even Streisand said, I, you know, she, I said, uh, how long do we have? She says, "Well, it's over when you when you're when you're finished." So she was allowing me fifty two hours of conversation, which is what I had with her. Over do you think that amount of time was provided because our attention was more focused to a huh. few locations, so that everyone was going to be reading that Playboy interview? But now we we have so much variety in what we could choose select to to uh, consume. That you no have one, a variety, no, yeah, but yeah. yes, but but you still will read the New Yorker if mm-hmm. you want to read a longer piece, a long and more in-depth piece. Mm-hmm. You know, the Atlantic. You know, there are magazines that are still not very few. I mean, I feel I I I've, I've basically stopped being a magazine writer. I just came across. I did an interview with Tony Bennett. Yeah. It wasn't an interview. I was writing his book. He asked me to write his book, so I worked with him. And then he just decided he didn't want to do it. And uh, I went up to San Francisco once, and he forgot that I was even coming. And I realized, you know, maybe his dementia had begun earlier than we think, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I had all this. I put together a 12,000-word interview with Tony Bennett. I've never shown it to anybody. I've never published it. And, they, you know, like I've, I, I just sent something to The New Yorker about it that I have this, you know. I mean, yeah. Whether anyone wants it or not, who knows? You know, it's a, but you're it's it's a different it's very hard to get the, that kind of time with someone. But I still think we could read long form. Mm-hmm. You know, James Mitchness, I asked him, 
how did you know to write Hawaii and to write these books, you know, Centennial? And they were 800 to 1,000 pages long. And he said, I knew because it was like 1951, 52. He said, because I saw television was coming along and I saw people, you know, watching something for an hour and I knew that they would want more. Mm. That was his reasoning to do these. And he wow. was right because he, you know, he sold millions of copies. But today it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, we, we don't know how many long novels are, are, are coming out. And how many people are buying them and how many people are actually reading them, you know? When you make a TikTok video that's three minutes long and you're told it's exactly. too long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wish I could figure out a good TikTok video to do. <laughs> I mean, you could do your poems, your shorter poems of oh, TikTok. Yeah. People would be there very you go. amused I, by oh, that. I could. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I want to talk to you about the Playboy interviews, uh, Larry. This used to yeah. be the most prestigious interview right. any famous person ever did because nowhere else did their true selves appear and they express their true opinions about stuff, political or otherwise. I mean, there are famous Playboy interviews that affected careers, like Jimmy Carter admitting right. that he might have lusted for women other than Rosalind in his heart. Right. And and just that very honest admission by a typical American male made people's heads explode and people still talk about it. So <laughs> talk about how you got your first Playboy interview. Okay. Uh also, if we get to Bobby Knight and, and Jesse Ventura, that might be of interest. I'm going to build oh, yeah. up to that. We have to do four play before we <laughs> yeah, get we're going there. The first Playboy interview was this. I, I, I was out. I came out to uh, I was in Africa for three years in, in the Peace Corps. I traveled about nine months or almost a year around the world. I get back. I go to New York. Uh, what am I going to do? Right. I mean, so I said, well, I'll go to Newsday, see if I can you know, write some freelance stories for them. They just were starting out with this magazine called LI Magazine. So they, they I ended up writing a, a, a couple of dozen stories, articles. Then I then they, I flew, came out here just to be a novelist, stop my journalism. And uh, they said, they called me up. They said, we figured out a way to get off Long Island. And the interviews with household names. Really? Who are you thinking about? Mae West. I said, is she still alive? Yeah. You know, how do we know? You're the one, you know. That has to find out. So anyway, so, so check her pulse. I, I well, I did it, and that and that led to you know Lucille Ball and Carol Burnett and Warren Beatty, people that didn't talk to many people. They respected Newsday. Um, so as I'm doing this, I'm seeing I have a an hour with Lucille Ball, or two hours, or three hours was the maximum I ever did with anybody, uh, because how many questions do you need for a three thousand word interview in a sense, or or fifteen hundred word, whatever it was. But I was interested in the form. Suddenly, I'm, I'm with these people and I'm thinking, what would it be like if I could come back tomorrow? And, you know, after we talk about it, what, what if I could come back for a few more days and dig deeper? And do, when will they throw me out, basically? How much? <laughs> do you, so so I looked around. I said, well, where could I do an interview like that? Just to test to see what it would be like. And it was Playboy. It was the only obvious play thing. How do you get into Playboy? I'm, I'm new. I'm just starting out in my writing career. Playboy's established and they only have 12 interviews a year. So they they have their interviewers already. I'm sure, you know, like Alex Haley. Um, so my I, I thought of a way in. And that was I had to convince Newsday's editor, and it wasn't much convincing, to let me do an interview with you, Hefner, for Newsday, for the L.I. magazine. Mm-hmm. And they said, OK. I then get in touch with Playboy's publicist and uh, they said, OK. So they set this thing up and I, I really prepared. 
I was, you know, like I knew I, I just had questions. I wasn't going to be a softball interview. I wanted to impress Hefner yeah. so I could, you know, get in. So anyway, we, we go. The interview took uh, oh seven hours the first day and he invited me back. He took me up to his bedroom to show me his rotating bed, that kind of stuff. But, you know, it was like I, I did a, a pretty good job with this 3000 word piece. And what happened was that that when that came out, Hefner didn't show up for the uh, annual dinner with advertisers that was at the Playboy Club in Century City. But the publicist called me and said, instead of him showing up, he's printing out thousands of copies of this interview you did with him. And that's his statement. That's who he is. And I and I said, wow, that's amazing. Wow. So then they said, would you like to come to the to the dinner, you know, to the luncheon? Arthur Kretschmer will be there. Now, Arthur Kretschmer was the editorial director of Playboy, the number one guy in the magazine, right? And then so I said, well, of course I'll come. And I had a portfolio with me. You know, everybody's going for the one thing. I'm going there to seriously talk to this man and see if I, I can talk him into letting me try to be a Playboy interviewer. He, so the publicist, uh, the Playboy was Don Rogers was named. He goes over to, uh, you know, after Kretschmer spoke and everything and they talk. He brought him over to my table. <laughs> I couldn't believe that. And I said, Mr. Kretschmer, I said, look, this is what I do. This is who I've done. Bup, 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 bup. You know, and I and he said, well, I, I like the one you do with Hef. I said, great. I said, but I think I can do it for Playboy. So he told me who the editor of Playboy would be, Barry Golson. So I called him and I said, Arthur Kretschmer told me to call. Blah. So, of course, he took my call. And uh, he says, who are you working on? So I said, well, I'm trying to get to this, to this, to this. I mentioned 15 names. One of them was Barbara Streisand. Well, Streisand was like uh, Beyonce now or bigger. Mm-hmm. I mean, Streisand was like really the biggest star. And um, so and Streisand never talked to anybody. So I started in trying to get to her. And it took me over a year, I think, to finally get her to agree. And the reason she agreed was she was making that movie, A Star is Born. Frank Pearson was the director. And he published an article in New York Magazine called My Battles with John and Barbara. John Peters was the husband, uh, her boyfriend at the time. And uh, he was producing. So this was, and Chris Christopherson was the star opposite her in A Star Is Born. So um, she wanted revenge. She was angry that he talked negatively about her and about her son or something he wrote. So, so I got to know Frank Pearson, by the way. I liked him. But but, but anyway, uh, I get a call from his, her publicist, Lee Salters, who says, um, uh, Barbara would like to see you. I said, uh, okay. I said, is this, uh, you know, work <laughs> or is this just a meeting? I, I didn't know. So she they, she just said, just be there, Tardeo Studio. So that's what I did. I didn't prepare to do the interview. I didn't think that was going to happen. But I go to the Tardeo Studios and I'm waiting in the waiting room and uh, I'm waiting 10 minutes, a half hour maybe. And then here comes Barbara Streisand through the door. Behind her are five people. These are This is her entourage, right? Whoever they are. And she comes, she just comes right at me, right to my, you know, my, my face and, you know, and she says, why does the press hate me? <laughs> first oh. question, first meeting, not hello, Larry, we're both from Brooklyn. Nice to meet you. <laughs> like because you can answer does- on behalf of everyone. Yeah. So I said, I, I took a step back and I, I didn't expect the question, but I answered it honestly. And I just started listing all the reasons I was disliking her for keeping me waiting, for doing this, for doing that, for making the whole thing. Well, behind her, her five people went, yes. <laughs> they gasped. 
And I realized, oh, right, I'm in the presence of a queen and, you know, I shouldn't be doing this. Anyway, she looked at me and she said, come with me. And we go into the studio and she said, there's we, we're going to watch a, a screening of A Star is Born. And she's going to uh, play with the music. She she moves things up and down, you know, whatever. Um, and it was fascinating I, to watch her work and to also sit there with her and watch this thing. But I was so nervous about it because I thought I I, I don't lie well. My face displays what I think. And if I don't like this movie and she's I'm going to blow the interview right <laughs> with her. So anyway, the, the, we watched this whole thing and, and I didn't really care for the movie that much, to be honest. But I'm sitting there thinking, oh, gee, what's going to the lights come on. She turns to me. This is, we're the only two people in this in this theater. And oh, we're in God. these like leather, me? red leather seats, you know, like <laughs> she turns to me and goes, well, <laughs> oh, my God. And I just looked at her and I said, you're going to make a lot of money. Oh, that was a great out. Wasn't it? It was a great <laughs> it out worked. right well there. Done. I'm remembering and then, that. And then she came, you know, and then what happened was uh, she she finally agrees to do the interview with me. She says, OK, call my publicist and he'll arrange it. And I said, no, no, Barbara. I have been talking to him for weeks, months, almost a year. I, I, I don't want to deal that way. If you want to do this, give me your phone number. And she looked at me and she was making a decision, you know, with one of those moments. And then she goes to a, a pad, a yellow pad like this one. And she with in the smallest little letter, she writes <laughs> B and her phone number. And then she rips this piece off like this and hands me this little piece. So, OK, I had a phone number. So that's it. That's it. I called her directly and we started. And. The first thing I'm going on about this, this is maybe too long for you, but the oh, first no, thing, the first thing that Barbara wanted, she came down the steps. I'm in her house in, in, in Holmby Hills and she comes down the steps with a with a document and she hands it to me and she says, OK, you know, just sign this and, and we'll get going. And I go sign what? Right. What is she talking about? And I look down and I see it says, dear Barbara. And at the bottom of the second page says my name. And I'm supposed to have written this letter and it's going to sign it It's that her lawyer wrote. And it basically said that uh, she would control the interview. She would uh, take keep all the tapes. She could edit the transcript to, to her liking and whatever, you know. And I just looked at that and I said, Barbara, I said, uh, I, I, I can't sign this. And she says, well, everybody does. And I said, yeah, but everybody's not doing an interview like this. I said, this is different. And, you know, you have to uh, understand that because um, I'm not a secretary. And what you're asking me to do is, to, you know, to, to perform a, an, a, an interview with you so you can edit it and make it the way you want it. That's not a, that's not journalism. Mm -hmm. So she just hesitated a minute and then the phone rings. Well, she said, OK, she'll do it. But then the phone rings. And it's her, it's her lawyer. And he's, and he says, he's calling, did he sign? Did he sign? And uh, no, she, and she says he did. And then she, he starts yelling at her. And so she looks at me and hands me the phone. She says, here, you talk to him. And she hands me the phone. And I hear the lawyer, I don't know who the lawyer was. I hear the guy, him screaming out, I don't wanna effing talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> So well, I give. I took the phone. I gave it. I, I said he doesn't want to talk to me. <laughs> I gave it back there. <laughs> she hangs up with him. Two minutes later, John Peters calls. Did he sign? Then again, no. It didn't okay. 
Another five minutes, Lee Salter's call. So, I mean, she had her whole entourage. You disappointed a lot of people, Larry. Oh, yeah. I, oh, they were not happy with me. <laughs> Marty Ehrlichman called. You know, I mean, Marty was the was the one, actually. He screamed, I don't want to talk to him. And that was her manager. Anyway, um, so we sit down. I've never quite told this story before, so, but I mean, this way. Um, but when when we finally start to, you know, I take out the tape record, we go into her living room. And we That's the only time we ever talked in that room. We always went into a different place, but that, this was by the fireplace. And then there's a living room. And we're sitting on the floor. And we start to talk. And the talk got a little bit sexual. I mean, you know, talk about sex. And it surprised me because... In all the 150 to 200 questions I may have written, none of it was about that, right? And and I, I and we just started talking on an intimate level, in a way that uh, made me think about this later. And I said to myself, what she was doing was committing to this interview because it was going to take a battle, and it was a battle, and they wanted to buy it off. I had, you know, they offered me, you know, John Peters called me to his office. They tried to buy it from me. They tried to get me to sign. So, I mean, all sorts of things happened. It's an amazing story, actually, the whole story. It's a whole chapter in my my book, uh, my memoir, You Show Me Yours. Let me just stop you right there. This was, your interview with her was for Playboy? Yeah, okay, yeah. good. And the and, and and you know and oh man, there's so much. There was so much that happened during this this time, you know that ha- you know that I was with her that it was fascinating. And I also know Elliot Gould. He's a became a friend of mine before yeah. I even did Barbara. Mm-hmm. So and you know then I meet Jason when he was a boy, you know, and it was like you know in a lot of ways like family. I was I was intersecting into into different lives uh, and and trying to figure things out. I, I will say that your book. Um, you show me yours is like a textbook on how to be an effective interviewer. And, and what you're describing is sort of a subsection of your book, which is don't allow the interview subject to control the circumstances. So Barbara tried to control you and wasn't successful. Vince Bugliosi, the prosecutor yeah. in the Charles Manson case, did exactly the same thing. And so did Alec Baldwin, although sort of time delayed, tried right. to control. But you can't allow that to happen as an effective interviewer. I, I, I really, I learned so much from reading your your book of the various suggestions, and that was one. Okay. Don't don't uh, let okay. the interview subject control it. And it's hard yeah. because they're very intimidating people. Yes, of course, they're big stars. <laughs> You have to, you know, this, the thing about doing interviews is because I've taught it at UCLA for I did 10 years. I was teaching uh, the art of the interview and um, and I was bringing in everybody. I was uh, Al Pacino came, Diane Keaton came, wow. you know, uh, Steve Martin, John, uh, Jonathan Saffer Foyer. They loved him because he was like 25 years old. He wrote Everything is Illuminated and he's like making millions of dollars, you know, mm-hmm. so it's hope for writers, you know, once in a while. Yeah. Um, so it was a really fascinating class to, to, to do. Farrah Fawcett, you know, she came. Uh, it, it was it was one of those um but 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 to try to teach how to do an interview, you know, how do you duplicate what you I've done? I, that's an impossible thing to answer. But I realize a lot of it has to do with confidence mm-hmm. and personality. Um, and you know, I have friends who are very accomplished, but they are like A level kinds of people. That is, they can only you know put strict attention on something when it's about them. Mm. And so you know. Um, uh, Ray Bradbury was like that in a way, you know, uh, the, these certain people I've met um, other people 
uh, like Brando was not like that at all. Brando wanted to hear your stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, Brando, if if it was up to him, I never would have done the interview with him. He just would have listened to me the whole time. You know, I mean, they just... It, it, it was a very different kind of person to be with than Warren Beatty. He'll talk about certain things, but then boom, you know, the women is not crazy about talking about this is <laughs> early. But but also I learned, you know, what you learn, Fritz, is that you, uh, you, you learn when you can sort of broach certain subjects. If you have a lot of time, for instance, the, the with Beatty. We, we talked at his Beverly Hills. Uh, he had the top floor there for a small little two-bedroom apartment but that's where he did all his his, his loving at the beverly and, uh, wilshire hotel right wilshire hotel all his and, loving <laughs> and, and uh and and you know and i when i went to see him see some of it had to do with just how you dress i was in africa for three years so i i was comfortable wearing these fugus you know like it didn't look like anything normal i'd go to see these people i'd be wearing what i'm comfortable in because i'm going to be there for a while i don't want to be uncomfortable and they would always look at me with a smile or a little strange with Beatty, it was like the minute he took, he looked me up and down it was like come on in come on in. it was like mm-hmm. you know it it was just that thing that it could be the way you dress it could be the way you smile it's that with pacino the first time i met him it was in his apartment now on uh, uh 85th street was it um you know, on Madison at Madison. And it was like, like Candace Bergen was the name on the, on the mailbox. It was his place, but he kept making it was hers before he never took it off. So you wouldn't know he was there. Um, and the first thing I did when, when we got in, he opened the door and it was a small apartment and, and he sort of, you could see he was nervous. He was really not wanting to do it because he never did a big, and even a small one, he was, it was basically a virgin. And, um, I, I just looked at him, you know, and I, I knew immediately to take out my tape recorder immediately because I would Brando. He wouldn't let me turn on the tape recorder for three or four days. And that was torture, you know. Mm-hmm. But so I took it out immediately. And he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> I said, trust me, Al. I said, this is the way to this is the best way to do this. And I said, I just put this on. I'm going to put it aside and we're just going to talk, you know, and just, you know, don't you'll forget it. And then he, he said, OK, OK, I guess, you know, best. Why was he acting like that nicely to me? Because. I had done Brando and Al had never done an interview before. When that interview got published, I was working on Steve Martin. I was you know, getting ready for Playboy. And I get a call from the editor saying, um, we got Al Pacino. And that was another big take, you know, a big get. Like mm-hmm. I, got, I did Patty Hearst too. There were certain big gets I have done uh, in, for, for them. And, that, you know, Al was a big one. Marlon, of course, was really a big one. Um and they, I had to go there on Thursday, and I'm in. Uh, I, it's Tuesday, and on Wednesday the Academy Library is closed. So I can't at that time. I was doing my research there. You know, I had I couldn't do any research. I, oh, I said, yeah. So I said I can't do it. I can't. I can't do it that soon. You know. Uh, so they said to me, "You don't understand." He said he'll only do it with the guy who did Brando. Yeah. I heard that. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, immediately I said. Uh-huh. He doesn't know my name, but I'm the guy who did Brando. So I said to him, well, OK, but I want more money. Ta-da! <laughs> a writer gets a moment, you know. You don't get many of those moments, but once in a while. So um, and they agreed. And uh, I flew off to New York and, and I went to see him. He opens the door. He's nervous. I put on the tape recorder like that. We go to sit down. First thing I notice is, uh, is a, uh, oh, I, I sit in this um, 
a wicker seat, right? He had his kind of he had an old couch, a moldy yogurt uh, was sitting on the top of the hand, uh, the top of the couch. Um, and I go to sit in this thing, and my ass goes right through the chair. It's a oh broken chair. And it's not that I was that heavy, you know. I mean, it was just, you know. So I went, what? The? <laughs> I just wow. started to laugh. And then, you know, he he he's like jittery. So he says, "You want some coffee?" I said, "Okay." So we go in his little kitchen, and he lights the stove. And then, but he also uh, uh, sets sets the um, what do you call it? the towel dish towel he had on fire. Oh my god! So now I'm all of a sudden he's waving this dish towel and trying to get this fire and i'm there 10 15 minutes already and i'm saying this is like my friends this is i i know this guy (laughs) it wasn't it was no longer you know michael corleone you know it was it was no it it was a different person with someone i could relate to i grew up guy that was you felt like you know you had the footing because he didn't have his footing so that, that you could make him feel more comfortable yeah, and, and and in your book, you talk it, it, just to further comment on the dressing thing you were talking about. You really comment on your book, and it's really a revelation. Where if you walk in there with a suit and tie, the yeah. person you're interviewing immediately feels uptight because you look uptight wearing a suit and tie. But if you go in with jeans and a sweatshirt, or as you say, that African piece you were wearing, people are immediately they they feel you're going to be open minded and relaxed, and their responses might be open minded or relaxed. So you have to think about what you're going to wear as well. Well, but my feeling too is that I think you want what I used to tell my students because when when I said one time we were going to go to the Playboy Mansion, they were going to interview Hefner. You know, he agreed to do that. Um, or, you know, if if Pacino came, he came three times. Anthony Kiedis came, you know, from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I know they're going to be nervous. They, I'll, I say, look, you guys are going to get nervous. They say, well, they're all confident. You know what? I said, no, you'll see what will happen. But, um, the, you know, the thing is, I want you all to dress the way you would dress if you were going to this person's house. I don't care what you wear. You can wear a sweatshirt. You can wear your pajamas. Or you can wear a tie and jacket. Whatever you feel creates the respect you want to give to the person you're about to, to interview. You don't want to show disrespect. You don't, you know, but you you want to be comfortable, but you also want to show the, you know, where the level of this can go. Mm-hmm. I remember when, when I went to see Louise Lasser, she was in that Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, then she mm-hmm. got caught with drugs. She was smoking marijuana or something, so she got put in jail. She came out. So she she I was supposed to be I thought I was the first person who was going to be interviewing her since she got out. But as it turned out, I get to it was in Malibu and I get to the door and a man in a suit and tie is just leaving. He was from the Wall Street Journal. And he and then she looked at me and a giant sigh of relief. <laughs> it was really interesting, you know, yeah. Yeah, I could see because I could. I, and so in that sense, yes, he was stiff, you know, and I could see it, you know, right away. Arthur Miller, the same thing. I went to see Arthur Miller and, and a New York Times reporter was there and, and he was also in a tie and a jacket and stuff. It's funny, you know, but but, you know, Gay Talese, you, you're familiar with yeah, Gay Talese, yeah. the writer. Mm-hmm. Well, Gay Talese is a, a, a really brilliant journalist. You know, he was, he's one of the best. And uh, he was at UCLA at the book uh, festival of books one year and I was there I always uh, I had an office at UCLA for 10 years so I, I I was walking down Bruin Walk and he was coming up and I see it's him and I just said Mr. Talese listen I said I introduced who I am I said you know what I do but I said you know I, I'm teaching here and I teach you know your work I said I and, and I love some of your essays and 
And he said, why don't we go have a coffee? So we go into the faculty and we start talking and we're getting along. And I said to him, um, what are you doing tonight? And he said, what, what are you thinking? I said, well, uh, would you like to go see Al Pacino in um, Salome or, or at the uh, Wadsworth Theater? And he looks at me, he says, it's Saturday night. You can't get tickets to that now. It's, I said, no, I can. So he says, how? I said, because I know Al. So I call Al. <laughs> I said, I need, I, need, I need your two tickets. And talk about impressing Gay Talese. You know? <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing. We're, you know, the Wadsworth Theater is at the Veterans Avenue. It's mm-hmm. not, it's near UCLA. I live up in the Hollywood Hills. I'm dressed the way I'm dressed, which is probably like a sweater or whatever. So he's, I said, okay, we can go. We can have, maybe we'll have dinner for us. And he says, well, you're not going to go like that, are you? He says to me. And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, yeah, I've only been to this thing about eight times now. I've taken Joyce Carol Oates to it. I, I took uh, Anthony Hopkins to it. You know, so it was it was fun. You know, I would take them backstage. They would talk to him. So Tilly says, no, 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 you're going out with me. He says, so <laughs> I, I want you to wear a jacket and tie. I said, well, so I had to drive all the way home. Get wow. put on. <laughs> My wife says to me, what are you doing? I said, why? Well, I said, I have a day with gay Talisa. What <laughs> a jacket and dress tie. code. Wow. So you talk in your book about the experience that you had with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. And Uh, you you kind of talk about how you're not really friends with the people that you're interviewing. It may feel like you're friendly, but you are lifelong friends with Al Pacino. So tell those stories and, you know, and what happened and why and when you can trust friendship in in. Well, you don't really you really don't know. You don't know what you can trust. I thought Dolly Parton and I were were pretty solid. You know, we were friendly, you know, as with Goldie and and Kurt, Um, Diane Keaton, um, Elliot Gould, uh, Pacino. I would say those were the major people that I would. Oh, and for Farrah Fawcett, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and I thought Kim Basinger for a while. And, you know, because we but she's an agoraphobic, so she doesn't like to go out. But, you know, we talk on the phone a lot. And then I think what happened is she couldn't wait to read my neck, my last book, which was that book, You Talking to Me. Yeah. And um, she, you know, I wrote about her twice in that book. And once once was, you know, very nice about animals and all her thing. And the other was that how I noticed how women sometimes kind of exaggerate their relationship with their loved one. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Angelina Jolie talked about Billy Bob Thornton, how she could never leave him, how she would, you know, use a knife on him if, if he ever did anything. It was like a, amazing what they would say to me, you know, and that would get into the interview. Uh, Nicole Kidman, you know, talked about Tom Cruise to me. You know, she came here in my room where I'm sitting right now. Nicole Kidman sat here. Angelina Jolie sat here. Um, Kim Basinger did not come here, though. I went to her. But um, and Kim about Alec. You know, what a great kisser he was, this and that. You know, all three of these women got divorced from these men. It ended <laughs> badly for the most part. And they went on to the next one. And so I was writing a piece about how I have never been, I have never talked openly about my relationship with my wife, for instance. You know, it's a private relationship, but I, I love her dearly. But I'm not going to say in print the way these women said about their men. And yet I'm still with my wife for <laughs> so many years now, you know, since the 70s. Um, and uh, not, these women are not. So that was what I wrote that. And so what do you think they were trying I to think do? Kim, Kim read that and said, and, and I, she hasn't answered my phone since, you know, oh. I mean, I know she read the book. So I guess she was upset with that. But this is the problem. You, you have a problem when you meet these people because 
you if they if a lot of people will want to be friendly when you have a lot of stories everyone loved to talk to me because of brando you know after i did brando boy you know uh, lily tomlin wanted wanted to hear about brando barbara streisand wanted to hear about brando everybody wanted to hear stories about him so that was an interesting thing so you know people you think you're, you're becoming friendly with some certain people you know because it's a different level you're not there to write about them now but with me i am a writer mm -hmm. I, I i do keep a journal you know what i mean and so uh, this is uh, i don't know what's going to come or that's not going to come but i don't you know i just sort of see i'm living my life whatever enters it right and I became very close with with Elliot Gould, and I heard him once in that book as well. He read the book and said, "Larry, uh, it wasn't uh, David Carradine who gave me LSD for the first time." And he told me who, someone else. And I said, "Elliot, but you had told me that, you know." But he was he was saying, you know, and there was it wasn't Fox Ubit, it, it, it wasn't Hershey's chocolate, it was Fox Ubit or something, you know. And and uh, when he was a kid, doing an advertisement, so I felt badly about that. You know, I, I don't want to make mistakes in in my writing. You know, and certain things you can correct or not. But he's a mensch. You know what I mean? He 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 may not like something I wrote, or I might have got it wrong. But we're still friends. Mm -hmm. We talk to each other on the phone all the time. But sometimes um, those guys will call you for having made a mistake, but you have the tape to prove that you were right. Well, yes, yes, that uh, that's happened. You know, the Bugliosi, I mean, you brought up Bugliosi. I can go in so many directions now, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> you know, because there's, you know, what's the what happened with Goldie and Kurt? That's a good story, but it's going to take me five minutes to tell it. Yeah. You know, if, the same thing with the uh, governor Ventura, you know, and 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 uh, Bobby Knight. These are all great stories. But the problem is, I don't know your timing. So you, I'm willing to well, go anywhere. You want, I mean, you guys. We, we can pick out certain stories to tell. I know they're, you know, yeah. they're in Larry's books, if you want to read these books. But what I kind of the takeaway that I got from hearing about how people wanted to be your friend until they suddenly didn't like something maybe that you had written, it felt to me like, you know, celebrities spend their lives very exposed. And the insecurity that sends them into public life seeking attention is the trait that makes negative attention almost unbearable. And that's why yeah. you encounter rage and control issues. And the story about your friendship with Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell is especially haunting because when it came down to feeling pricked, they just circled their wagons. I mean, well, what happened? Yeah. But, but you see, and, and again, that wasn't even my fault. No, see, it was of course a, it wasn't. It was like a Maupassant short story. It was like the necklace, the story of the necklace. Um, and I, you know, in a nutshell, um, I would interviewed Goldie for Playboy and we became friends. And then I got to know Kurt and uh, Kurt was the opposite of Goldie. Goldie was a liberal. Kurt was a conservative. Uh, and, and every time we would have dinner, we we arrange we liked each other so we we would arrange to have uh, every few months they would come to our house or we would go to their house and 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 have a dinner you know and it was fun you know and we bought Kate Kate Hudson was a, a young girl then you know and Oliver I mean you know they were they were under ten probably mm -hmm. um, so um, yeah so we we had this very nice kind of friendship that you know I I thought and to the point that Goldie gave us you know. Uh, the key to her house in, in Malibu, stay with me when, when with my family, when my kids were small, says, oh, we're going away. You can have it was wonderful. You know, it was a very nice kind of thing. And then um, uh, Entertainment Weekly asked me to do an uh, a story on um, Kurt Russell. And uh, he was making that um, fire. Backdraft. Movie. Backdraft. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So, so I said, fine, you know, I said, but you know, you know, I know him, you know, I, I'm always up front with, with these people, uh, with editors, because I say, if you want a, a hatchet job on somebody, you hire somebody else. If you want something that's not going to be that, but it'll be more insightful because you'll get different kinds of stories that way, then I can do those stories. I'm only, I only say that with a few people, but with them I did. Anyway, so I, Kurt and I, we go up in a plane we said, let's have lunch in uh, like near the Hearst Castle or something. Okay, let's fly the plane. So we go in the plane and the two of us, he, he's he's a very good you know pilot. And then somewhere up in the air, he says, okay, you take control. I said, what, are you kidding me? He said, go ahead. <laughs> and suddenly I'm flying a plane for the very first <laughs> oh time. God. And I, you know, say, so, okay, but, but, it, and then we get there, we had a nice lunch, we get back. I write the article. I write about, you know, going up in the plane. I do the whole thing. And the article comes out in in uh, Entertainment Weekly was part of Time magazine, you know, so and so I never had that was the only magazine I ever had to deal with more than one editor. Usually you dealt, you, you and your editor hash things out. But it, it, with with the, that kind of a, a magazine, it used to go through one editor would read it and then make his comments. Another would read it, make her comments. And it went up to three or four people. So they kept sending me back versions of it, you know, faxing me at the time. And I'm reading this thing and I say, no, 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 you're taking out the S and I'm writing back. You know, it's one of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, when the thing finally comes out, which is, you know, it's rushed. These things, once they decide to go with it, it's like the next week or something. So it comes out. And um, in the second paragraph, it said something like uh, Kurt Russell, who is a, a B actor trying to become an A tier actor. Uh, and then that, that, that something else. Well, I never, I've never written in my life anything about A's and B's and ratings and tiers. It was like crazy. And I read, but it was already in print. You know, there was so sandwich in between my article. They they did this, and uh, he got. Now I never knew for sure that that was it. But when 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 it was our turn to to see them, and I called, and I think they didn't. Goldie didn't call me back, and then I tried again, and she again a week I didn't call me back, and I said, well, it's funny they're not calling back. My wife says, oh, maybe it's because, you know, we set off the alarm in their house because when we stayed there. <laughs> I, I I put in the wrong number, but I said, no, no, that that was silly. We knew the password, so we were able to get through that one. But but I said, maybe it was the article, but I didn't know. So so um, after the third attempt, I said, well, that's I guess that friendship is was not what I thought it was. I tell this story to Al Pacino. Oh, oh so Al goes to about a year later, I don't know, half a year, year. Al goes to the Oscars or to the Golden Globes. And and then he comes back and I I'm seeing him and he he says uh, hey I, I met your friends yesterday I said who are my friends he says Goldie and Kurt I said oh I don't, I don't know if they're friends anymore Al I said I, I he says why what happened I said I don't know I never found out I suspect but I don't know so I can't really talk so he, he says I want you to do this he says I want you to write to Goldie and I want you to say I'm saying to you to write it says say Al Pacino told you to do, you to do this. <laughs> And um, and say, you know, you want to know why, what happened? So I wrote Goldie a note and I said, look, Gold, I guess I said, uh, Al's, in full, Al's insisting I write this because he wants to know what happened. But I'm not sure exactly what happened between us. Um, but perhaps you can answer. So she writes me back and she says uh, that the problem was, she said, is everything was great between, with us all the time. And then this article comes out and she says, and I didn't recognize Kurt. I didn't recognize the man I'm living with. And 
if that's who you thought he was, then I, you know, he was so hurt by it. I just thought we shouldn't be talking. And I said, well, listen, I wrote back. No, what I did is I wrote back and I had my article still in my file, but I also had a copy of the magazine and I sent it. I think she was in Hawaii at the time. And I sent this to her. I said, I said, Goldie, I want you to look at, I, I'm sure you don't have that article anymore. So here's a copy of, you know, what, what, and then, I, but I want you to look at what I wrote. And see if if uh, there's any difference in that. And she wrote me back. I'm down on my knees, in apology. What you wrote was so beautiful, and I'm so sorry. You know, but but she wouldn't, didn't know. But what I'm saying is, why didn't you call? Why well, didn't you say call me and say how you know? You know, I didn't get it. And so you know, and then she says, oh, you must come for dinner. I said, All right. so we go. And my wife says, are you going to bring it up? And I said, well, yeah, I think we have to discuss it, but not at dinner. I said, you know, let's do seven nights at dinner. So we go and we sit down and then Kurtz brings it up quickly at, at dinner. And I said, Kurt, let's wait. Let's have a let's just have dinner first. And then the, we'll, we'll discuss this because I have a lot to say about it. You know, mm -hmm. But it basically ruined the friendship. You know, I mean, even though we were uh, we were back at dinner, we, probably, we don't do that. We don't have that relationship we had once had. So what was that a friendship or was that, you know, a detente kind of dilettante kind of thing? I think we it was a know. friendship. I think the thing is about very famous people is like they live in that spotlight. And so they're it's like they burn more easily from the sun. Right. So mm. when they feel when they feel that burn, it's just excruciating and they can't they can't tolerate. So they go back inside. But that was a friendship. It's just they're more vulnerable than we are. We don't walk down the street and and people know I'm Goldie Hunt. Like we don't have the experience that they yeah. have. I, well, I've experienced that. Barbara Streisand told me once walking on the beach, she says uh, someone walked right by her and said, you look a lot like her. <laughs> you don't, <laughs> wow. expect, you don't expect to see her, right? I was with Diane Keaton. And, the, and I've been with a number of stars where we're, we're walking somewhere and something happens. Diane Keaton was always the coolest. You know, anybody came up there, she would, she would just disarm them. Goldie was pretty good at disarming, too. Pacino jumped, you know, one time a, a woman came out of a car, we saw him, we were walking just down in Beverly Hills going towards, uh, you know, little Santa Monica in that area. And she, this woman came from behind, young woman, and uh, and and she, she reached out, I think she touched him on the shoulder, and I thought Al almost jumped into the bushes, you know, <laughs> he just really oh. got nervous. Let, 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 let me take you back for just a yeah. second, because I don't want to lose this point. What irritated me about the Kurt and Goldie story was that an editor has the ability to change yeah. your words mm -hmm. and attribute words to you that yeah. you did not say. Legally, that seems uh, that seems untoward to me. Yeah, I'll tell you. I think it happens a great deal in journalism. You know, in in magazine journalism stuff. It just you, you, some you, and sometimes you just can't fight it. You know, I mean, with the Playboy interview, I pretty much had my way. But there were times in the very beginning, my very first interview, even though Streisand was my first assignment, it took so long to do. I ended up doing Henry Winkler in between, and Henry Winkler got published first. And um, but when the when I got the galleys back, this is the first one. You know, I'm dealing with my editor. I it was like I had built up. I saw doing an interview as a, a three act play in a way. I don't know why, but I as a dr drama, you know, so you want to build up. You 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 have someone maybe starting out high and then sinking low and then going back up. And at the end, what is your ending? And with Henry Winkler, he was the funds. He was the you know, uh, George e. Scott uh, said to him, you know, kid, you better enjoy it because you may never get another part like it. You know, interesting. Right. And um, so. 
So uh, I ended it with, uh, he went to Mardi Gras and he was the king of Mardi Gras and he's throwing out the doubloons and the necklaces. And I said, he's at the top of the world, you know? And so I thought this is a nice place to end this piece. And I did. So when I get the galleys back, the whole section is gone. And I'm going, what happened? And they said, well, the advertisements came in and, you know, we, we, you measure by the, the inches now. So you have to take something out. And for a lot of editors, the easiest thing to do is to take it out from the bottom, you know, rather oh than God. go through in the middles where, they, where you've made all your connections. Why wouldn't they ask you what you thought ought to be hoisted? Well, I got... That's the thing. I it was my first first time. Oh, okay. So you know what I mean. So they didn't know. And when I I called and I started to say, "Look, you got it. this is what I did." I remember Barry Golson saying to me, "You know, I never thought of an interview like that. This is the editor of the Playboy interview, and he didn't see it the way I was seeing it. Isn't that something?" So anyway, uh, they respected me after that. Now I think that's why I got the call to do Brando so quickly after Streisand. Because it took nine months to get Streisand, and I didn't get paid until the end, you know, so I was, I was working for free, and who knew that was going to have a, a heaven ending. Um, but after that came out, it was on the she was on the cover, and it was the first celebrity ever to be on the cover of that magazine. And uh, that was a huge deal, because Barbara does not know this story, but what happened was... She said to me, wouldn't it be something if I was on the cover of Playboy? And I looked at her and I said, you would, you want to be on the cover? I didn't believe it, right? So she said, well, it would be something, wouldn't it? So I called Barry in, in New York and I said, you're not going to believe this. She wants to be on the cover. What do you think? Are you kidding? This is great. Well, you know. So that, then he flies out because he's going to meet with her to discuss the cover, right? Mm -hmm. So he flies out to New York, uh, to L.A., and I meet him at the Polo Lounge at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And he is like ashen. I said, what's the matter? Because we're, we're going to see Barbara and John within the next half hour, let's say. He says, Heft doesn't want her on the cover. I said, oh, wow. what, are you kidding me? He says, well, apparently she never goes to his parties. <laughs> and I'm going, Everyone oh, is so insecure. God. Did you oh, see the Secrets of Playboy streaming series? Yeah, I'm watching that, but it, uh, that's that's really one-sided in a certain way. But I, mm -hmm. I I don't know for for sure about a lot of the stuff. I, I can know what I've seen because I went to that mansion every Sunday mm -hmm. to movie line. I just wondered that. what your opinion was, and you just voiced yeah. it. So Have that's you fine. watched Licorice Pizza? Because I'm wondering if that yeah. is an accurate portrayal of John Peters. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> oh yeah, John Peters is nuts. But let me just finish this story. With, with, okay, with go this, ahead. With, please. Uh, where was I with, with this? Was so it with uh, her, uh, Heft didn't want her on the cover. Oh, I didn't want her on the cover, excuse me. And um, so I, I said, to, you know, if we go and tell her that this interview that I've been doing for eight, seven or eight months is over. It's over. She's never going to let it. He goes, what are we going to do? I said, this is what we're going to do. You, you, you will give her control of the picture. And you, because Hefner has control of the picture, he's the one who decides, right? Mm -hmm. So they said, but we'll tell her that she can pick the picture she wants. Because you, Playboy's never done that. And we, we don't, and we won't, we don't care if she doesn't like it. It won't happen, you know, but if she, but, but even if, even if she t says no to it, the interview itself will appear. And that's all I was caring about. Okay. So the idea would be, that we so she agreed to that and then they took the pictures and they had they built this big circle and she's wearing a superman t-shirt and a, a, her legs beautiful legs she had uh, uh bare legs and um it says what's a nice jewish girl doing on the cover of playboy <laughs> um and she also posed in the bunny suit 
and they didn't use that. They went with this one. So anyway, this is God, that's branding up. you couldn't even put. I mean, that that would be branding you couldn't even put a dollar value on to have her in a bunny suit. They blew yeah. it with that one. Because Dolly Parton did, and they put her on the yeah. cover with yeah. the bunny suit. Yeah. Um, but, and so did so did Sally Field. I arranged for that one, and she did. She she was in the bunny suit. So anyway, so Barbara. Um, uh, agreed to the the picture, you know, that she liked or took the three. Mm-hmm. And then they took it to Hefner because they still didn't know if this was going to go. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 we told Barbara that Hefner and Barbara have to agree together. That was that was the idea. Mm-hmm. So that way, no matter what Barbara said, if Hefner didn't want it, OK, it's not going to happen. Hefner looked at it and he liked it. Bingo. It's on the cover of Playboy. Oh, First man. First celebrity cover. All right. Before we wrap up, I, I think we need to hear the Dolly Parton story because I don't know if I've ever encountered oh. a story quite like this one. Okay, but but you know, I haven't even talked about my my turquoise book. Oh, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna Dolly. plug your books, of course. And, and, and I got so much I want to tell you, but okay. <laughs> um Dolly Parton. What happened with Dolly was I I, I flew off to uh, Virginia and West Virginia to, to be in her um uh, entourage while she was performing. So we, I traveled on her bus. We stayed at motels. Uh, I always stayed in the room next to hers so we could talk after the show, two, three in the morning, we would be talking. And we, we developed a very nice rapport. And and um, uh, it got to the point that, you know, she one time she called me, she was in town. So I said, okay, well, I'll go pick her up. I had a little Fiat. We drove down to the beach. And and uh, she tapped out with her fingernails the nine to five song she was working on. She didn't have it all together. She said, what do you think? I thought that was pretty cool. And then we would walk down the along the beach and some big, big muscle guy recognized. I think he recognized her, but he he, he saw the big boobs, you know, the hair, the boobs and the, the heels. And we're walking <laughs> along the you know, Santa Monica Beach uh, uh, on the sidewalk. And um, he screamed out something. And Dolly grabbed my arm and said, oh, damn, she says, and I left my gun in my bag in your car. <laughs> and I said, your gun? She says, oh, yeah, I carry my gun all the time. You know, I told her in New York, I was with my sister. And I said, I'm going to turn you from a rooster to a hen if you don't get away from me. I told that story to uh, Colin Higgins, who wrote Nine to Five and put it's that in. The, in. the yeah, lines in the movie, I know That's it. Right. That's, That's one of the great... So so anyway, with Dolly, so we were pretty close. And then um, uh, she calls me up one day. Charlie Manson, uh, Playboy had call, had called me a couple, the, on a Friday or a Thursday and said, we, we want you to think about something. We, uh, we, we, want, we, we, we think we can get an interview with Charlie Manson. Before we ask anybody else, we want to know if you'd want to do it. And my instinct was, of course. But then I said, listen, where, you know, some of that stuff happened with uh, Sharon Tate and all is in the area you live in the Hollywood Hills. And um, also, uh, you just had a child, you know, and it might be a little scary for you. So I said, I'll think about it. I tell my wife and she said, well, you know, what do you do? What you do? It's your job. So I started calling different people. All the men I talked to. You got to do it. You got to do it. All the women I talk to, you're not doing that. You got to be crazy. You don't want to do that. Okay. So I'm leaning towards doing it on a Saturday night. I think I'm going to talk to my editor on Monday. So I, and, and the phone rings like eight, seven, eight o'clock at night. It's Dolly Parton. No. So I don't, Hey, 
hey, guy, you know, how you doing? Just thinking about you. That's what she says. I said, gee, Dolly, isn't that interesting? You called. I said, I'm in the middle of making a decision. She says, what, what are you, what's your decision? I said, well, Playboy asked me, you know, to, uh, if I, uh, to interview Charles Manson. And what? She says, are you kidding? No, I'm not. I, don't, I can't tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you this. If you see him, have you talked to him yet? I said, no. Have you? She says, if you see him, if you're near him, if you're anywhere in the vicinity of him, I never want to see you again. She says, that man is evil, that his evil will, will come, will spread onto you, and I don't want that coming near me. This is, she really believed this. Mm -hmm. So she said, you're a very sensitive man, and, and I know that it's he's the wrong person to be around. Well, in a sense, I, I caved. <laughs> I said, well, Dolly, if, it's, if it means that much to you, I said, I don't want to lose your friendship, you know. Uh, so I didn't do it. Playboy never got to him in the end. But Dolly could never get it out of her mind. And I, 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 when I tried to see her a couple of times, I never heard from her. So one time I was, I was asked by uh, Good Housekeeping or, or McColl's or Cosmopolitan, one of those magazines, asked me to, to, to do a story on Dolly. She, so I let her, left the message. She agrees. We meet at the, near the Chateau Marmont at a French restaurant. We see, and we, had a, you know, we talked for a long time. And then I said, Dolly, it was Manson, right? She says, yes. She says, just the fact that you were even considering it changed me, just changed me about you because I can't think of you without thinking of Charlie Manson. And I don't want to, do so what wow. can you do? <laughs> you know, I mean, I think she's being honest with me, um, yes, but in a sense, her loss as well. Right. I mean, you know, I, uh, there's stories you share on both ends, but it's interesting. I do what's, what scares people and what, what are people's triggers? Because for me, that feels like a trigger. Yeah. And, you know, and so it sends her to a dark place and she just can't go there. So, I yeah. mean, I we don't know what people's triggers are. I think we all have triggers, you know. Yes, absolutely. Uh, my sister's my trigger. <laughs> your sister's your trigger. <laughs> well, she uh, was I talking her, about I love her dearly. But. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> I mean, some people might resent it because, uh, you know, it, you're doing it for the commerce of doing an interview and you know it'll be successful and Playboy will make a lot of money off of it. That would be something to resent. But she was looking at it from like a voodoo aspect, oh, who, yeah, like the, yeah, yeah. the bad yeah. mojo. That right. was a spiritual thing she was talking And the talking way about. that she said, you're sensitive, that was a compliment to you, that yeah. she was yeah. legit worried that some of this evil you oh know, yeah no I, I take her absolutely at her word i love her i mean yeah. i think she's extraordinary she's a real genius you oh, know sure. you know, yeah. she's an amazing woman and boy i'll never forget the first time i met her she was a bit zoftic right this mm -hmm. was the dolly parton that we sort of have in our minds when we were you know when you knew her when she was younger so mm -hmm. she had she was she didn't have her waist was mm, i don't know it was a little bit bigger than than <laughs> we see it now then when i saw her that that last time my goodness, she told me she had an 18-inch waist. I said, "Did you have ribs removed?" I mean, it was like a she still had the bosom, but but the, the she was as thin as anything. And her her diet was nibbling. Aww. That's what she did. She didn't eat a lunch or dinner. She she would nibble five six times a day, but it was just you know small little things that she <laughs> that was what she ate. All right, so <laughs> let's talk about what you've written recently and what you want to talk about and share with our audience. Good. Yes, mm -hmm. I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Well, what happened is. Um, with this pandemic, once it started, I, I don't know what, why, but I started 
thinking in fiction. I, I started writing stories. I had a dream about a spider that was in the bath, bath bedroom, but it, it, the, the, the web was half the size of the bedroom, the bathroom. So you had to go under the door to get to it. And this guy in my dream uh, goes under the door because he wants to take a picture of it. And he goes to take a picture. But what he forgets is any spider that would have built that web, it's got to be a very big spider. Mm -hmm. And so that big spider comes out from behind the toilet and uh. bites him. Mm. His body freezes right and then he turns them into a cocoon and what happens then okay so that i wake up from that and i said that's i gotta find out what happened so i write this story and i make it about a guy and call a guy a, a narcissist you know and why a narcissist well because he had everything in the world everything came to him whatever he did and this is the guy who's going to get the bite bitten by this spider what's going to happen next so um, so I wrote this story. Then I had another dream about a carousel and if somehow a man was buying a carousel at an auction, only it was a real live carousel. He's going to bring it to his home. What kind of home do you have to have to have a carousel fit in mm -hmm. a 50,000 square foot home or, you know, something like that. So this guy had to be very rich. So, okay. So I, I, I came up with this story as I start writing these things. Uh, they did, they just flow. They just come. I couldn't believe it. So the first book was the narcissist. My sister-in-law did that. I love the title. Yeah. The second book was Schemers, Dreamers, Cheetahs, Believers. <laughs> 35 stories. And this is this was, a you know, all about, well, a lot of it has Trump stories in here. A lot of it has you know, what's going on uh, between the sexes. And, and you know. Are they uh, essays or fiction? No, no. They're oh. all short stories. Oh, okay. They're all fiction. And the last one is stuck. This is about a guy who wakes up one morning and uh, he, he, you know, he had he had touched a cactus or something, so he got those prickles out. But then the next one, there's more needles that are coming on, and he takes those out. And then a little later, more. He's growing the, these from the inside, right? So how did this happen? I didn't know, but I, what, what kind of story is this, right? He's a plant man. Um, so I started writing these stories. Another one is: you ever do any coloring? Mm -hmm. I never colored. I mean, when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but uh, my proofreader sent me a coloring book, very, you know, old triangulations and all this stuff. And um, and with with pastels and, and gels and pen pens, I said, what are you doing? I said, I don't have the time to do this. So I had the, I started doing it when watching TV and the more I did it, it is very relaxing, very interesting. And. I got, you start getting into color. You know what I mean? You're starting to actually like you're painting in a way. It's a very, because I'm not a good artist, but I can color. So I did, I did a number of these things. Then I thought it was a story. I said, what if, what if a guy goes into a shop, he wants to buy his friend a present. And he says, do you have anything really unusual? So they come up, he says, well, I, they, this thing we have, it's a coloring book, but it's of, of every, monster from every country their big monster which one you know which with you know the golem from one country whatever so uh, i looked this up you know i started doing research I, I got the top monster from each country 16 of them or so now what if it was franz kafka's book it's never been colored but it's you know his name is his handwritten thing there so now it's you know and cockroaches the, are all black anyway so what are you going to like so so uh, I uh, the guy gives him the thing and they go off to a cabin. He's coloring, coloring, coloring. And he, when he starts the color, finishing one of these monsters, the monster appears. Wow. Oh, that's cool. And so, you know, and so what? I mean, I took this to to all different levels. You know, I mean, it was really amazing. So that was another story. So that all these stories happen 
I thought about the pangolin, the pangolin who's who's was blamed, the bat or the pangolin caused the pandemic, right? The virus. So I said, I wrote a story as a pangolin. You know, don't blame me. Don't blame me. I didn't do it. It was like another one is about I, I had a line called, I think I'm being poisoned. And, and the next line is, I think it's Vladimir Putin who's trying to poison. <laughs> and, and this was, you know, last year. And so um, I, I got into, you know, all the different kinds of people who were being poisoned. But I, this character developed and it's a funny story. But. I've been, wow. That's what I've been doing. So I've been writing those things. Read, then, wait, before we go, because we're way over time, but I, okay, I want you sorry. to read us one. You also are a poet, and you've got a book of poems. Pick a okay. shorter one about one of your people, and we'll close out with a poem. Well, no, he oh. has to do the poem and then his recommendation. Oh, the recommendation, yeah. right. Uh, here's one about Luciano Pavarotti. Okay. They came like Gestapo to get Luciano Pavarotti out of my house. These suited record executives on album signing schedules. But Luciano liked the Chinese tacos, rice balls, and sushi. So told the worried eyes to let him swallow. The lines will only get longer. <laughs> they paced, made calls, wondered what was he doing in this canyon house, muttering how hard it had been to find him. But Luciano liked the chicken salad and mini shrimp dumplings and stayed a while, entertained by my daughter's tricycle tricks. Uh. Before changing shirts, exposing Mushu layers of grand opera chest, finally following his Gestapo into the mile-long limo to face the music. Oh, <laughs> that's that so beautiful. beautiful. And your writing about him in your book is wonderful. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, people criticized him for be, being too pedestrian. But the truth is, I think he expanded the awareness of opera more than any other single person on the planet. Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, he had the greatest voice yeah. He, I when I was researching Pavarotti, I got everybody. I got the records of everyone. Everyone, you know, Caruso. It's scratchy, you know. It's old time. Mm -hmm. But no matter who you listen to, you read when you heard Pavarotti, you knew it immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I would do that with friends. I said, bring them over. I said, here, let me put on this person, this person, this person, this person. I didn't tell them who it was. Who was the best? Everybody went with Pavarotti when they and they didn't. They didn't okay, know. so we're recommending what people might want to uh, enjoy. And what have you and your wife and your family been watching, reading, or listening to lately? Okay, um, we watch Billions. Yeah. We watch Succession. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We watch um, My Brilliant Friend. Um, I haven't seen Ozark. that yet. Ozark. Ozark. Yeah. Uh, uh, sh shameless. We we got into Shameless. We're into the seventh series. You know, I I don't know where I'm going to find the rest, but it's Shameless is pretty good. Righteous Gemstones is kind of amusing. Mm -hmm. um, David Letterman and Friends is good, mm -hmm. and uh, Comedians in Cars. Oh, uh, yeah. So Gary That's very. That's good when you want to get that last fifteen minutes. You don't want to go to bed yet. You put on one of those. You know? Absolutely. <laughs> that's a great selection. And then you know, four the hours film, later, the, you're still watching yeah. them. But I got to tell you, I, yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to say in closing, Larry, that um, it's it said that that a, a, a full life is a life with which is an accumulation of many experiences. Yeah. And I can't imagine anybody who's had a fuller life than <laughs> you, both professionally and just personally, really amazing stories and one hour doesn't do it justice but it was sure a pleasure to talk to you and you when you talked earlier about you know actors or performers people that you interview some of whom are only interested in talk talking about themselves and then some of whom are very interested in hearing about the lives of other people i think that that's you and that's a far more enriching life 
Well, thank you. Before, I mean, you asked me about books. So we just want to quickly, this is a book I picked up called Down to the Crossroads. I just got it. And it's about the Meredith Mississippi March in 1965. And I was there. I, I oh, wow. was on that march. I marched with Dr. Martin Luther King. And I didn't know that they, someone had written a book about it. So I'm looking in the book for, you know, what it was about. So that was that's fun. That would have been nice to talk about. It's too late. And there's another writer that a lot of people don't know. I'm not sure if either of you would know Thomas Bernhardt. Um, this is called no. Woodcutters. And this is Concrete. Uh, he's He was a born in Holland, an Austrian writer, uh, wrote in German, died in 1989. And I found these this these books very, very interesting and very, you know, in in, in a way that you, you haven't read a book like it. You know, I mean, it's about a guy woodcutters. He's going to a party, a dinner party uh, for an actor. The actor is late. All the people are there. He sits down in a chair and he has an inter- in a monologue about all these people and wh- how much he hates everybody. You know, it's really, it's a, <laughs> I it's, like it. it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where you're reading it and he repeats things. You know, as a kind of a repetition, repetition, not quite Gertrude Steinish, but you know, it's, it's he's 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 moving it along. And I was like, uh, I had a good time reading that, and that's why I got Concrete, which is another one that he did. Um, so it's just just interesting to to be turned on to something you may not have known about. Well, if anybody oh, yeah. consumes so all of Larry's suggestions, we want you to reach out to oh, us because yeah. we're going to send you a reward. Awesome. Those are awesome. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, thank you so very much, Larry. What a oh, great it discussion. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Nice to meet you both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know we're going to get some great reviews for this show. This oh, yeah. has been packed with so many wonderful stories. But if you'd like to go through our back catalog, go to Media Path Podcast. We have 88 episodes, and you'll pick one in there that uh, broaches a topic that you're interested in. Please uh, listen to it and then send us a review because your reviews we can use to uh, to get more of an audience. And I just want to say, uh, before we go, Wheezy, we, we want to say a word about our friends in Lithuania. We have some listeners in Lithuania. And Lithuania is one of the three small Baltic states, Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, and, and their beautiful capital, Vilnius. They spent 20 years under Soviet rule. And, and there is a great worry in Lithuania right now about what Putin wants to do after the Ukraine against NATO, and it might have to do with the Baltics. They've got 2.8 million citizens on edge right now. If you live in Lithuania and your family is part of this anxiety, we want you to know that we love you and we send our hearts out to you. And we would love for you to communicate with us via our podcast, Media Path Podcast, and tell us how you're feeling over there, because we would love to share your story with our listeners. Yeah, if you take a little movie and email email a little film, uh, to mediapathpodcast at gmail.com. We'll feature you on our podcast. And we would love for you to join us online on Instagram and Twitter, or we are at mediapathpod. And on Facebook, where our show is Media Path Podcast, and our Facebook group is Media Path with Fritz and Wheezy Podcast Community. You can find full episodes with all kinds of bonus visual content on our YouTube channel, Media Path Podcast. We would love to know what media you have been enjoying. You can contact us at our social media or email us at mediapathpodcast at gmail.com. We want to thank our wonderful, fascinating guest, Larry Grobel. Our team includes Dina Friedman, Francesco DeManda, John Maddox, Sharon Bellio, Bill Filipiak, Thomas Hubble, Mason Brown, and you. Our theme music is by me and John Maddox. I am Louise Palenker here with Fritz Coleman, and we will see you along the media path. 
Time is amazing, Larry. We could have done two hours at least. So we'll put all the links in our show notes so everybody can just click and find everything that you've been talking about.